think my real life superpower is listening, um, which is pretty funny coming from someone who's deaf. But I really did. I mean, you know, again, as I was losing my hearing, it was sort of self-taught survival skills. I taught myself how to lip read. Um, I taught myself just to be super aware of what's happening around me. And that, that's actually, funnily enough, served me very well. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners. As always, your host, Steve Opolinik. And here is a new episode of the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. Our guest today is Angela Irwin. She reached out to me with an interest in being on the podcast and shared with me her TEDx talk, which I will leave in the show notes because it's a very powerful talk and it, it informs some of what we're talking about. And so if you want to get a deeper dive into some of Angela's Backstory, I definitely recommend listening to the TEDx talk. We definitely touch upon the TEDx talks, but we take it far beyond that. We really get into inclusion and talking about how our life's passions are driven through our own experiences and how sometimes it's important to have these experiences to figure out what our passions are and help us chase our dreams. So without further delay, here's Angela. humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame welcome to the podcast our guest today is angela irwin thank you so much for being on it's a pleasure to finally as we were talking about before meet in today's technology standards of meeting uh, we're really honored to have you on the podcast today, and thank you for reaching out and having an interest in coming on. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, Angela, I know that you and I had talked briefly, and I did watch your TED Talk, which is just full of so much information about who you are, but also about inclusion and, and how to incorporate and you know be more accepting and welcome people in and be inclusive in that nature. But I'm wondering for the guests today, if you could give us a little bit of a rundown of who you are, you know, what what's kind of driven this passion for inclusivity okay. and, uh, you know, your your navigation to where you are right now, your story. That's OK. All right. Well, it's been um, a, a lifelong journey, I guess. So I am originally from a tiny town in South Dakota. Um, I grew up on a farm there and um, moved to Denver, lived in Denver for 12 years, worked about 15 years in corporate 
medical devices, uh, industry, marketing, um, marketing and clinical education, which um, brought uh, a relocation to France uh, almost 12 years ago. Oh. Uh, and so we lived three years in Paris and now we've been in Nice in the south of France for almost eight years, um, which is still hard to believe at times. Um, about five years ago, my position was made redundant. And for whatever reason, I just had such a feeling that the easy thing, the easier thing would have been to um, find a similar job, work for another medical device company, do something similar. But there was just something in me saying, no, this is your opportunity to do something different. Um, so I went out on a limb, had no idea what I would do, but I knew there was something in me that was saying, um, you need to do something different. And I knew I wanted to help people. That was basically it. <laughs> so um, through just sort of being open um, in a sequence of events, I found myself enrolled in a year long life coaching certification program. And um, the funny thing is, um, Shortly after I was made redundant or was laid off, I met a woman who was a life coach at a networking event. And I was so clueless when she told me she was a life coach. I was like, I don't, what does that? I don't what even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so to say I was a little green on that space um, is, is putting it mildly. Um, but interestingly enough, during the course of that year-long program, um, I find, found myself um deep in depression which was a shock and of course you know you you talk um or regularly about this but so much that stigma I was like even to myself I was like me I can't possibly I can't possibly be depressed you know what in the world um and what I discovered during that process was um going through the life coaching certification uh, actually brought up uh, undoubt with feelings from childhood around when I lost my hearing. Um, I lost my hearing over the course of 15 years, starting at the age of seven. Um, to this day, we don't know why. It's you know sort of an unusual thing. Um, I am clinically deaf, but thank goodness, uh, there's amazing technology called a cochlear implant that I've had for almost 25 years now. Um, and literally gave me a second chance um, at life. Cause I don't know what I would have done if I wouldn't have been able to regain hearing. Um, and so that was a really difficult process. I, I had to you know, get some professional help to work through all of that. I had no idea that I was carrying all of that. It was the 15 years from age seven until I got my first cochlear implant at 22. My MO was to never talk about it. Right. <laughs> so it was like, just stuff the feelings down, keep going, keep going. And I, I had no idea that that was all still lingering there and, and how, how heavily there was so much shame. Um, which I know sounds silly because it was nothing that I could control. I mean, I, I couldn't control losing my hearing. I certainly didn't want to be losing it. Um, so 
<laughs> so, yeah. But had I not gone through that very painful process, um, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have pivoted. So I then I pivoted my, my coaching to focus on confidence coaching. I didn't know that we could change the way that we feel about ourselves. I didn't right. know that we're told all these very harmful uh, stories when we're young and too, too young to dispute them. And then we get into adulthood and we've been carrying, um, carrying those messages with us all along. So that's really, once I went through that process myself, I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is what I, I want to help people. You know, the simplistic form is basically feel better about themselves and so they can achieve their full potential. So that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but it's perfect because I think it does set the stage really to how our own stories dictate, you know, what passions we have and what we we move forward with and then you know the whole point of the podcast is talking about these limitations or trials that or tribulations that we've had in life and navigating through them and finding uh, a way to kind of strengthen our conviction and our movement forward and and being able to look at each next step as uh, a way to not always positivity but with a generative viewpoint so that we can keep going forward. And I think what you're saying, it mirrors some of my own background too, is when I was doing psychology at a local college up here, UMass Amherst, um, you know, I was studying psychology and I really remember this, this one class was called abnormal psychology. And mm -hmm. it really interests me because I was like, well, what, what's that mean? <laughs> because psychology, <laughs> in general is is always so introspective so what is that normal psychology and as you got there you, that's when you were studying at the time you know these personality disorders and and access to which doesn't exist anymore in the mental health field but um but i remember taking that class and just feeling really heavy like it was really mm -hmm. hard for me to go to that class it was really hard for me to um do the work and read and, you know, same thing with you. It's like, why am I feeling depressed? I'm not, I don't have anything to be depressed about. What, what is going on? And then in the process of doing the studying, some of that internal stuff and the, some of the younger stuff that happened to me started coming out more. And I started really disconnecting and not really sure where to go or who to talk to or even what to admit, right? And, and so luckily I was able yeah. to connect with some people and I had some really good supports in my brother and being able to talk to my brother about some of this stuff. And I was able to kind of, instead of run away from it, challenge, not challenge it, but meet it head on and kind of have mm. compassion and gratitude for myself and for the situation. And it's still an ongoing process, right? Like it, yeah. it, it you, you know, always have to build that introspection, but I, I'm really thankful that you shared your journey because I do think it's, it is part of that stigma is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm cool that other people were struggling. I understand that I can be compassionate to them, but then when it flips around on you, you're like, oh, here's all this shame and not wanting to acknowledge or talk about it or keep that stiff upper lip and kind of power through it. Absolutely. And I have to give credit to a dear friend of mine for having the courage to point it out to me. Uh, because I didn't realize I had, I had been in depression for six months. I knew something wasn't right. I didn't recognize myself. Like I couldn't, I felt so stuck. I couldn't get myself to move forward. And I happened to see this friend and she was just, she's like, are you, 
are you okay? You, you seem, you seem not yourself. And I was, of course, I'm like, no, fine, I'm fine. Nothing to see here, you know? Yeah. And I can't even remember what happened, but I remember her pulling her iPhone out and reading off the symptoms of depression. Right. And I was yeah. bawling by the time she finished. <laughs> it was just like, you know, like you said, like, oh my gosh. So it is so important. Um, Cause I know she was scared to bring it up. And so that would be something if, if you do notice someone's behavior change, I, th I think that's an important thing. I am so grateful for her for bringing that up to me because I didn't know what was wrong. <laughs> and I certainly, I don't know how much longer it would have taken me to figure out or if I ever would have, or, you know, how I would have figured it out and I wouldn't have gotten the help that I needed. And like you said, it's so important to have the discussion and, and have someone to help navigate. Um, and something interesting because I was, you know, it's like, well, why would this be coming out now? Like, why would this, all this childhood stuff be coming out now? And the interesting thing was that, um, so the life coaching certification program that I was going through was also a dual setup an online business. And so that was all about the setting up the online business was all about getting visible, you know, putting yourself out there, um, which I didn't think I would have had an issue with because I like to do public speaking. I've done a lot of training and, and public speaking in my 15 year corporate career. But what that what it went back to was when I was losing my hearing, um, I also was losing my speech which is such an interesting thing because, you know, it's, it's so bizarre, but it, it, but it happens. Like as, as, if you lose your hearing, you start to lose your speech changes. And I got made fun of for that. Um, or, you know, when I probably like ages six, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, um, you know, meet people for the first time, like at summer camp or something. And they go, why do you talk funny? So that told me, you know, visibility is dangerous. Just be, <laughs> just be in the background. So that's what came out of that. I was like, oh my gosh. So it's just fascinating. Um, you know, all that stuff. I thought I left that all behind and it just came, came raging out. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting when you take a look at it, when I'm working with people, I talk about this a lot um, because I think it's a good way to start breaking down the stigma related to emotions and and uh, being vulnerable and things of that nature and I you know I have uh I like listening to Brene Brown I like you know yeah. challenging some of those concepts that kind of come up I talk to people about this all the time and one of the interesting things I think that's out there is like if you stuff this stuff down to avoid dealing with it right um it, it's short-term goals like oh, okay I, I can stuff it down I don't have to deal with it but it always comes back it's like uh, I like to like have you ever read The Shining by Stephen King not the movie I know the, of it but book. I haven't I haven't yeah the book's a little bit different but there's this concept of the whole reason they need a caretaker is because the boiler is older and it needs to be maintained so pressure doesn't build up and it explodes and destroys um the house the the hotel uh you know, I'm not going to ruin the end of the book. I mean, I think most people have probably seen the movie, so they have some concept of what happens. <laughs> but the end of the book's a little bit different. 
uh, there's some redeeming arcs for Jack Torrance, who's like the main character. But um, it it has a lot to do with the boiler. And I like to liken is like, yeah, you can stuff this down. It just builds up pressure. And if you don't release that pressure or find ways to release that pressure at times, guess what? 15, 20 mm. years later, that yeah. stuff's going to find a way out because yeah. we hold it uh, in our viscera, like our organs and everything of that nature. We hold it in our fascia in the body. That's why sometimes when people get massages, they can end up crying because there's a trauma response or an mm. emotional response to it. And so it just comes back and it, it's like, well, you know, you won this round, but here we go. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I think, I think the beautiful aspect about, you know, finding that either early in life or later in life is that you can say, okay, well, instead of pushing it down, right. It doesn't mean I have to become a victim of my emotions. It just means I have to feel them and I have to process through them. And what I like to say, I like to honor the emotions because they're happening mm. for a reason. And it's not always fun. <laughs> so not always pleasant or nice, mm -hmm. but generally the hope is that it can kind of cut down a little bit on that explosive boiler overload that happens sometimes in people's lives. So um, I'm a huge geek too. I don't know if you could tell from the, <laughs> the background of all, all this stuff. So I, I can talk about <laughs> Stephen King and fantasy books for forever. So <laughs> They kind of weave into the podcast at times, but I like to use them to illustrate points as, as we go forward. I think that's a that's a great analogy, and it's in um, interesting that you bring up Brene Brown. Um, adore her, uh, her work, and I would absolutely would have never done a TED talk, a TEDx talk without watching her TEDx talks about vulnerability. Yeah. That. Um, for sure, because again, like my whole MO around the losing the hearing is just, you know, if you don't give it attention, it's not really happening. That's, you know, that the, the um, mind of a seven, seven year old <laughs> going through that process is like, okay, I just keep moving. But um, in the process of uh, creating the TED Talk, that was actually really therapeutic for me. Yeah. Um, and I was vulnerable for the first time with um, like childhood friends, with family members, like sort of going back and revisiting, even asking them just from a curiosity perspective, what did they think as I was losing my hearing for 15 years? I was terrified. Like I had no idea what was what was going to happen to me. I tried, you know, every year I would go once a year to have the hearing tested and you know, they would say, oh, there's this new hearing aid technology. We really think this is going to work and it never would. Mm. So I had 15 years of disappointment on, you know, some technology coming along to help me. Um, but anyway, it's really interesting to have those vulnerable conversations. And that was something that I thought would be like Brene talks about as a weakness. But when I was vulnerable and opened up, I couldn't believe what people shared back with me. Mm. That was incredible. That was such an incredible thing to like, you know, you put yourself out there and then, you know, receive. Uh, I learned so many things, not only just about uh, the questions I was asking about their perspective, but, you know, stuff that they had never shared about themselves with people. And it really like deepened relationships and friendships. And um, it's it is so powerful, um, the, the vulnerability piece. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. I could take it 
immediately. Like I just had 80 things come up. In my head. <laughs> so I'm going to try to streamline it to where I think would, would make the most sense to talk about. But that vulnerability piece, I know we're hyping Brene Brown a lot, but you know, she does great work. So I think it's good. If anyone hasn't ever listened, take a listen to her podcast, read some of her books, um, you know, really insightful things. And whether you connect to them or not, enter with an inquisitive mind and I think you'll you'll find some value to to it um, absolutely and that that idea of being open right so you were just saying the enhancement of relationships and that's really important I believe in general because if you're hiding something if you're not talking about something the natural inclination to connect with someone else as, as humans are, right? Like our, our strength is in connection with each other and in community. You start isolating from that. Oh, I have this secret. Mm. I'm going to move yeah. away from this connection. But as soon as you kind of open up to it, you can share. And it's amazing what people share back. And it's, it's you know, like if you do chakra work, it's like opening that heart chakra and like really mm. entering into a conversation to kind of be like, oh, almost like Iron Man shooting his <laughs> you know, repulse array from his chest. It's, it's, you want to open up. And if we're living in shame or hiding parts of ourselves from people, it's really hard to get a genuine connection like that. So I think yeah. it's amazing that you were able to do that. And I'm not surprised that there was, um, you know, people reciprocating and sharing. Because I also think that's super important and validating to your own experiences, right? Like I've counseled a, a kid who's gone through some traumatic stuff and they came in one time and they said they were smiling they like and they told me and they're saying uh, I have something bad to tell you and I feel bad about it but they had a smile on their face <laughs> and I was like oh boy let me let me put my seatbelt on and uh <laughs> and I actually my belt is a seatbelt it's like I got it from Pacific Sunwear or Hot Topic like 15 years ago so I always make the joke of like actually buckling in when I'm sitting with someone because I have a belt like that um (laughs) and you know I in my mind I'm like where's this going and what they shared was that a friend of theirs opened up to them in school about a trauma that had happened and the the kid was talking and they were talking about feeling conflicted because on one hand it was very much like, this is sad for, for that friend and I shouldn't be happy. But on the other end, they're happy because they felt so alone in their trauma mm. and didn't have anyone to talk to that that person being open and sharing validated this adolescence experience. And I, I hold on to that still, you know, I've been counseling for 12 years now uh, in some form or another. Uh, maybe even a little bit more. I did some residential counseling at one point. And, you know, these are important sessions that kind of stick with me because of this, as you were saying, like this beauty about just being open and present can can affect so many people that you have no idea you're affecting. And in return, affect and validate your experiences as well. Absolutely. I think um, that made me think of... Um, something else like through that journey of uh, people opening up and feeling so isolated or feeling different I was stunned because then I started gaining momentum I'm like okay well these conversations are going really well I'm going to continue to have and I was so stunned 
with how many, um, how many, uh, it was mostly with women, but came back and said, you know, I, I never felt like I fit in. I always felt different. And even if, you know, and so that, that was sort of around the genesis of my TED talk. I mean, yeah, I did talk about the hearing loss and deafness, but it was really about the universal feeling of feeling different. Right. And I was so stunned because, you know, these were uh, successful, strong, smart, educated, you know, uh, from the outside looking in thinking, oh, you know, these incredible, amazing women. And they would open up and say, I, I you know, always felt like I didn't belong. I always felt different. I always, and I was just stunned by that. And um, so it, it is it's sort of that ripple effect. If you sort of open the door and have a conversation, then hopefully, you know, other people will, will, you know, have, have more conversations as well. Yeah. It's like that new age theory of love. Well, I guess not really new age, but that concept of law of attraction, right? Whether, whether you believe in that concept or whatever, yeah. I, I just think in a general point of view is if you have a mindset that's open, to saying, okay, you know, what I put out there comes back to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily energetically 100% like that, but I do think it's a mindset thing where you say, all right, well, you know, I really want to put out this intention of uh, gener generosity, compassion, and generative healing. Then as you go through things, that's your mindset through the day or the week or the month or the year. And so whether you know, you're rewarded by cosmic energy kind of coming back and, you know, giving you these generative things, or you're really just more open to viewing things and seeing the generative outcome, which I think it's, it could be a little bit of both, you know, um, I think it's really powerful to, to pay attention to it. It's like where, where my mind goes is kind of how I interpret and how I interpret affects where my mind goes. So it's like this cyclical nature. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, so I thought um, when I then pivoted um, my coaching to be on confidence coaching and around self-acceptance and, um, you know, silencing the inner critic and all that stuff that's so important to be able to change the way that we feel about ourselves. I thought, okay, this is why I went through all of this. This is why I lost my hearing. This is why all this. And I thought, okay, that's the thing that's the that's the passion that's the purpose and and it is but during the pandemic it went <laughs> went a step further yeah. and i did something that was never in the plan uh no desire whatever but i started a nonprofit, awesome. and it's called the joyful life cochlear implant fund um well, first of all, obviously, I'm super passionate about cochlear implants because, you know, it has changed my life. I actually yeah. worked for one of the main um, cochlear implant manufacturers. I, I worked for them for eight years when I lived in Denver. Uh, so I know a lot about it. I had met a lot of people, uh, other cochlear implant recipients. But the thing is, this amazing technology is 40 years old. Uh, in 2021, and most people that I meet are like, I don't, I've never heard of that. Right. And so <laughs> I went, that's, that's part of it. But um, an interesting thing about it is that in the US, um, many insurance companies will pay for the surgery. 
they'll pay for the surgery to have the cochlear implant done. But what people don't necessarily know is that there's an external component to it. And it's much like a smartphone and it needs to be repaired, replaced, upgraded. Um, you know, we say sort of like every five years. So imagine if someone's, you know, getting a cochlear implant, the indication um, is as young as nine months of age. So imagine even a one-year-old getting a cochlear implant, they're gonna have to have upkeep for the rest of their lives. And the external devices cost about $10,000. Right. The crazy thing is that not all the insurance companies, even though they've paid for their surgery, will pay for the repair and the replacement. And right. so I, I knew this and living in France, I was, also aware um, because our healthcare does cover it. So I'm you know, extremely grateful for that, that I don't have to worry about, about those costs because I get reimbursed for any, anything related to it that I need. But having known so many cochlear implant recipients when I worked in the US in that space, I knew when the pandemic hit that people were really gonna be struggling to keep their hearing. And, you know, just to clarify, so if you don't have the external device on, we are 100% completely deaf. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting thing. So we build our lives around being part of the hearing world. Um, but if something happens, if a, if a part goes out and a, the external part is not working, we're 100% deaf. So we're kind of straddling two worlds yeah. in a way. And um, so I did some due diligence and found their was no um, nonprofit or no organizations in the US that were helping with the external upkeep. And <laughs> here I there am, you know, a year you later know. as a non, you know, I've started this nonprofit, um, which I didn't know anything about starting a nonprofit. Well, I, you know, I'm certainly you, you I'm, understand. I'm still learning. <laughs> But it was just like you said, it was that same intuition or the same thing you, because you mentioned just being open. It was that same, whatever you want to say, gut feeling or something, a whispering, whatever, however you want to describe it. When I decided to do something different, when I did that career change, it was that same whispering of like, you've got to try, like people are going to need this. And um, so I'm, I'm thrilled to say in our first year during the pandemic, we, we launched in October of 2020. Um, and I have a, um, a part, well, a, a working partnership with, with one of the cochlear implant manufacturers. So they've been really helpful in um, giving us product at a, at a reduced rate. So we've been able to help people who um, would have lost their jobs due to not being able to hear. Right. Um, and so, and then I'm also doing the confidence coaching for the cochlear implant recipients as well. So um, I did not see that coming. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Yeah. And it's so interesting. It's like the thing, you know, uh, that I was so embarrassed by my whole life felt so much shame about. Now it's, you know, sort of full circle to, um, you know, being able to help cochlear implant recipients and, you know, achieve their greatest potential. So it's, it's been interesting. That's amazing. That, that must feel really empowering that, that cycle of, I was, I had so much shame and so embarrassment, so much embarrassment. And now you're kind of changing that aspect and helping people, you know, 
thrive and survive during a time where it's really hard to do in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I feel, I feel, you know, I mean, it was painful, painful, um, you know, both losing the hearing and then um, going through the depression part and trying to do that, uh, work through those emotions and all of, and all of that. But um, I feel so grateful because without those experiences, I wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, you even start your, your Ted talk, uh, TEDx talk, uh, referencing that you say, I live on batteries. It's one of the first <laughs> lines, right? Which I thought yeah. was really good. Cause it's a really good opening <laughs> line where people are like, wait, what, what does that mean? And so now you already got people intrigued and you can, you know, speak the truth to them. And I think that's a, a good thing. Cause you know, when you when you talk about stigmas and talk about you know the isms that exist i think mm. one of them that people often forget is ableism right mm. and this idea of especially in the pandemic thinking about you know okay well it's hard for everyone but you don't take into account something like that There's people who have this external device that needs upkeep and, and fixing and batteries to and how that limits if that goes out like what that means um i mean even in how you look at, you know, I, I'm not trying to make this political, but like with, with um, how people push for certain things in the pandemic, I don't think they filter it through these other lenses of how other people are affected by it. You know, even the yes. current um, variation we got right now, Omicron, right? Often it's like, okay, it's not as, as intense, right? No big deal, but it doesn't take into effect other people's own uh, physical health and mental health and how it may be affected. So. You know, at the same time, it's they're trying to calm people down from, oh, okay, it's not as bad, but also I, I personally feel it's really non-inclusive to just kind of make a statement like that sometimes because it, it mm -hmm. diminishes other people's perspectives and lifestyles. Absolutely, 100%, 100%. So we talked a lot about um, the depression. We talked about the, the hearing loss and and you, you know, the shame and embarrassment. And then also, you know, year after year, hey, we got this new device. I think it's really going to work out. Uh, and then being kind of crestfallen uh, for 15 years until something did, did happen. Um, and you, you've been open and honest about pushing some of that stuff down to kind of make it through. But in retrospect, what do you think some of the biggest things were that helped you get through those times, those, the, you know, those intense emotions of shame or embarrassment or depression or, you know, uh, feeling crestfallen? Mm, that's a good question. Um, there was some blind optimism. <laughs> <on that. laughs> okay. I can't describe because yeah. if you look at what was happening, um, there was nothing there was no solution like that you know that was going to be it i was going to be completely deaf i was like what would i even do um you know a lot of people say um well why don't you just learn sign language um okay fair enough question but i was living <laughs> in a town of 1200 people <laughs> sure who knew sign language right like yeah. uh, and I, I kept always thinking to myself not that you know i definitely encourage you even if um a lot of people with with cochlear implants 
also sign, which is great. Um, you know, use every tool you can to communicate. Um, but I just remember thinking, I don't want to be limited to only being able to communicate with a certain percentage of the population. That was, I don't know, that would always come back to me, but I don't, I don't know. Um, there was just this, yeah, blind optimism that somehow something was going to work out. Um, and that just kept me going. I can, I can totally remember, you know, having some pity parties and yeah. probably high school and be like, oh, why am I even going to study for this algebra test? Because, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to have a future anyway. Um, but most of the time, yeah, I just found a way to, to push through and never gave up hope that something would come along. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing in what you're saying too, because I think this is something that I think a lot of people deal with is you have these parts of yourself that kind of influence you. And so sometimes there's that, like you said, a pity party or shame that's like, well, why even try if it's if nothing's gonna happen? And we often like, oh, stay away, stay away. But I, I, to go back what we were saying to work through that, I think really is, and as you're doing with your, your job now and life coaching is being able to kind of say, well, there's a reason why that, that part of myself was activated and it was trying to do something for me. Right. And talking a lot about vulnerability, shame is a good defense mechanism. So you don't have to be vulnerable. Right. It's like, look, I'm broken or something's wrong. Nothing's ever going to change. So why, why even try? And you were able to kind of see that and say, yeah, I'm going to keep going though. I, I, I understand that, but I'm going to keep going. And I think, I think that's where, you know, in just talking to you, I feel this, this big sense of, you know, compassion and empowerment come up. And I think it's inherently based on that experience or that'd be that's, my guess. I don't want to tell you where it came from. Yeah, it's not, no, it's it's actually, role, but. actually that just brought up something for me that I hadn't thought about for a bit. Um, it did the shame and the it did trigger because I was actually um, I was actually told in fifth grade that I wouldn't graduate from high school. Now that's the downside of growing up in a small town. It was actually yeah. um, one of my classmates. Uh, his mom was a teacher at the school, so she had gotten that information from my parents, from my doctor. I was not supposed to know that information. Um, <laughs> oh, the tangled web of telephone. But yeah, right. As fifth graders, I will never forget. We were like standing on the playground next to the merry-go-round, and he said, "I heard you're not going to graduate from high school." And it was so like surreal. Like I felt like he punched me in the stomach. Like I could barely breathe, and I was like what are you talking about? And he said, well, yeah, your parents told my mom, you know, you'll lose your hearing and you won't be able to, you know, keep up and you won't graduate. And it's so interesting because when you said activate or you just uh, you said something, that's, that activated a, okay, let me prove everybody wrong. And I'd forgotten about that until you just, you just mentioned that. And that was sort of something, um, definitely <laughs> graduation from high school, graduation from college. Uh, I got 
my master's degree, I got an MBA. And I absolutely remember thinking that day, you know, okay, (laughs) you know, tell me, tell me what I'm not going to do. So that is interesting. Like you said, it, you know, created something that probably wasn't there otherwise, but it's that same drive that when I look back at setting up this nonprofit, it was like that blind faith. I had no clue. I had no clue what I was doing, but I was just like, I just, you know, one step, one step, take the next step, figure it out, get, you know, ask questions, find somebody, you know, find resources or whatever. Um, so you're right, that, that did then serve me well. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so interesting. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> don't get me wrong I don't think you have to experience something like that to find that drive and that passion but I do think like like what we were just talking about it seems like it was a really interesting connotation for you it's just like "Mm, no (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm gonna go forward and and that's great because I think you're making such a world of difference with everything you're doing life coaching the TEDx talks, the nonprofit work that you're doing. I think it's fantastic. All right. So I'm, I'm going to shift it up a little bit here. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit of, uh, about the confidence aspect of the job that you're doing. Cause I do think this will be a really cool time to talk about it. Cause we just kind of referenced it, but I also think it's one of the biggest things that, that come up for younger kids or adolescents or even adults is, how do you build confidence and how do you uh, build self-esteem and self-compassion and self-gratitude, um, I guess, would be the question. So it's a loaded question for you. Yeah. But if you had to like quick summation of like what are some important aspects of doing that or what you see works really well for people or even what you've experienced, what if you could boil it down into maybe like a minute pitch, right? Um, okay what do you think you would highlight? Okay. Well, the unfortunate thing is our confidence, our self-esteem, as, as you know, is formed when we're in early childhood, like around the age of seven. And so it's something that we've either experienced, someone told us, something that happened to us, and we're so young that we don't think to question it. And then we carry those beliefs, and most of the time they're false, um, through adulthood. So then when I like the clients that I'm tend to work with are, are usually in their forties or even their fifties, and they're still operating on these false beliefs from their childhood. So, um, when we can go back and and examine that and say, okay, so where did that come from? Whose voice was it? Who told you this? It's amazing. People are able to like pinpoint who said what, um, you know, and, and how that happened. And then we just, like I said, it's sort of the guiding, it's sort of the guiding force until we stop and question it. So to answer your question, I think one of the most important, like the first steps that someone can do is really pay attention to your thoughts. Um, because our inner critics, you know, that, that negative voice in our heads, that tells us, you know, we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not whatever enough is fierce. And, it's so on autopilot that we don't even know, usually we don't even know that it's there. But when I, when I do ask people conscious of their thoughts, they're usually stunned at how many times a day we're telling ourselves negative things about ourselves. 
And so that's one of the first steps is to just have that awareness and try to change those thoughts, try to slow down um, all that negativity that we're, that we're feeding in and to challenge the thoughts. Because like I said, we're told these things when we're young and you know, we don't think to challenge it. We take it on as, as fact. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing, thing to go back and, um, you know, an exercise to do to say, okay, so what are some of these things that I think about myself? And then I, I like to, what's called like your inner defense attorney, (laughs) prove, you know, because then we have like this life experience. We all do. Um, we have facts that can dispute those thoughts, Right. So, for example, I I remember one of the very first clients that I worked with, she was told she wasn't smart. And she carried that from the time she was eight years old and she was in her 50s. Now, imagine what a different life, perhaps maybe she would have, you know, been more bold. Maybe she would have taken more chances more. But this whole time she believed she wasn't smart. And then we went through the exercise and we have like a laundry list of all the things that, you know, things she's overcome, things that she's accomplished. And we're like, okay, these two things do not match. Right. So you are definitely, we need to, you know, reprogram that belief that you're not smart because here's all the facts and all the evidence to the contrary. Right. Um, so that would be one of the, one of the first things I, I would suggest. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's you're welcome. right on point. And I think you're right. We have to, you know, this inner critic or this part that's telling us something, we have to be inquisitive and, and kind of say, oh, where is this coming from? What is it doing? Let's address that and do that work. So we, we started the conversation about inclusivity and, and I think you know everything we've talked about talked about the importance of inclusivity uh, in the sense of you know the things that we feel make us different are really strengths that we have at, at times too. Mm-hmm. And we can really utilize those to to celebrate, you know, what we think is weird or different about us and, you know, work towards community, sharing and being open and, you know, uh, heart, heart centered kind of approach to things. Mm. Um, If you had to talk to someone about this specifically of how to be more inclusive, what what do you think you would say to them? Okay. Mm, Good questions. I think, I think something that's important is just to understand or just take a step back and understand everybody is going through something. And, and I think, you know, obviously we're now almost two years into a, a, well, pretty much two years into a global pandemic. So I think people are even just more fatigued, but even, even prior to the pandemic, I think just, you know, taking people's actions through that lens of everyone's going through something, we may not know what it is and it doesn't necessarily have something to do with me personally. But I think just sort of that being open and, and again, the curiosity, curiosity is such a, an important part of this. It's like, so let's say, you know, someone yells at you or something, <laughs> like, instead of getting mad and reacting, we can go, huh, I wonder what's going on in their life that made them have that reaction. And, and then just giving that compassion, like you, you'd mentioned about self-compassion and self-grace, which I think is so super important because we are so hard on ourselves. 
we were really so hard on ourselves. And so if we can have the, you know, self-compassion, but also for others as well. And uh, I think then we realize, you know, that's certainly one thing that I've learned, um, you know, traveling and, and living in, in different parts of the world is we are all so much more alike than we think. Um, you know, it comes down to sort of basic tenets of, you know, we want to belong, we want to have connection, we want to have, um, be seen and heard. Um, and yeah, so we're just sort of reminding that we're more alike than we are different and hold space for people. Um, it's, a, it's particularly right now, it's such a tough time. Um, people are just so exhausted by, <laughs> by all of this. So um, yeah, I think that's just a good reminder to have. Yeah, and, and I think what we talked about too is being open, right? So like when yes. people offer insight you know, being open to hearing where they're coming from and, and what they're saying, as opposed, again, to being reactive and really say, okay, well, how can I hold that? Maybe it's a perspective I never felt before, or how can I use that to inform myself to have different viewpoints as I'm going through my life? It's like, hey, this is pretty routine. I don't have to think about this. Oh, how can I think about some of these things and start being generative to the people around me? you know, yeah. on any level, really. So I think that's fantastic. All right. So I end the podcast with two questions every time. Um, okay. <laughs> and so I think I know one of the answers to this, but I'm, I'll be interested. I think you mentioned one of the answers in your TEDx talk. So um, the first question, you can answer in any order. I'm just going to give you both of them. The first question is, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? And the second question would be, what do you think your real life superpower is? <laughs> well, I think, um, yeah, you're right. I do mention this in the TED Talk. Um, I think my real life superpower is listening, um, which is pretty funny coming from someone who's deaf. Um, but I, I really did. I mean, you know, again, as I, you know, as, uh, was losing my hearing. It was sort of self-taught survival skills. I taught myself how to lip read. Um, I taught myself just to be super aware of what's happening around me. And that, that's actually, funnily enough, served me very well living in a country where English is not the first language. <laughs> right, yeah. No, so I, I use that, like, I'm like, okay, what's happening? What are they saying? What are, you know, what's going on? Um, so yeah, I think the real life superpower is listening. Um, Hmm, if I could have any superpower. Um, I would say time travel. <laughs> it's a good one. It's easy to abuse though, so you gotta be really careful with it. Okay, that's true. I can <laughs> see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I don't think we may have had that answer before, but I don't think we have had that specific okay. answer of time travel. Any reasons why? Like what specifically you would like to do? I'm sorry? Any reasons why? Is there like a specific reason you would love to um, I, I have loved travel, um, absolutely love travel. And I think now, um, you know, I haven't been able to see, um, you know, my family and stuff in the US for since the fall of 2019. So I think teleporting <laughs> could, could be, you know, teleport myself. But I think it would be also really interesting to go back um, 
you know, to different periods of time, uh, like the Roaring Twenties or something, that would probably, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald is one of my favorite authors, so that uh, would be sort of a great Gatsby, sort of, that would be kind of cool. The age of the flapper <laughs> dress and the long cigarette. Yeah, exactly, holders. exactly. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think you're, you're onto something with that. I always play around with the idea of, oh, if I could travel to a land in any of the books I've read, which one would I go to? And there are a lot of pros, but there's a ton of cons because I read a lot of fantasy. So it's like, this would be really cool. There's magic, but there's also like trolls and dragons and you know, <laughs> dead wizards. I, I don't know if I want to be around all of that. I, I like the pros of it, so that's good. Well, Angela, thank you so much for coming on. I have mm. nothing but but love and gratitude for, for the fact that you were able to come on today and, and talk about your story and your passions. And I appreciate you sharing with our listeners. And I think that's, you know, you, you referenced the stigma stuff and inclusivity. And I think this is how we start to chip away at some of that stuff is by offering introspective looks at ourselves and then also how this affects others. So I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It was so uh, absolutely my pleasure to be here. And I think what you're doing um, with your wellness center is absolutely amazing. Um, uh, so kudos to you for for making that happen. I, I know, you know, that's not easy to do, but what an amazing idea. Like, that's what we should have. Like, like you say, the one-stop shop for everything that you need for, um, you know, wellness as a whole person as a whole body so i think that's awesome so thank you for having me it's been wonderful thank you thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast if you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast please outreach to us at info at the promethean project.org if you want to learn more about the promethean project or if you would like to donate to our cause you can reach us at the Promethean Project.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen, and remember that the most important step is always the next one.